Um, hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Daniel chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 46 through 49. Um, if you do not uh, have a Bible with you today or you don't own a Bible, there are some in the back corner over here of the auditorium. Um, that's our gift to you. You can have that. Um, and then also it will be on the screen um, behind me. But just to really set this text up, um, if you haven't been with us through this series, uh, don't worry. Um, just to bring you up to speed of what we're going to read is the last chunk, the few verses of uh, chapter 2. And, and, and some really kind of skim over this text and, and really would have added it to what we looked at last week. But I really believe these few verses hold a lot of truth for us. Um, a lot that we can learn just from these four verses. Um, and so what has happened before is that uh, the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, had a dream and really brought in all of his wise men, all these magicians, enchanters, and all of these men hoping that they would interpret his dream, but no one could. And in fact, they said, no one among the flesh can do that. Only the gods can do that, and they don't dwell among the flesh. So then the king gets mad and says, listen, I'm going to then kill all of you. And they're like, okay, well, this is really getting serious. So even those who were not a part of this, who were considered the wise men, Daniel and his peers were included in that. They were going to be killed. And so when they went to Daniel to kill him and his friends, Daniel said, would you yield momentarily that we may seek our God and then interpret the king's dream? And so then Daniel goes before the king, he interprets the dream, he gives the proper interpretation, and, and really you have two different, two different views of this dream that really King Nebuchadnezzar saw this great statue, and really for him that meant, look at how awesome I am, look at how great I am. And for Daniel, he saw this as more overpowering of, of human inability, and, and it just showing that that really on earth, this statue showed that, that earthly kingdoms were going to fall and going to fail, but the kingdom of God was going to last forever. And so now we've seen that where, where all of these wise men said, listen, nobody can interpret this. Daniel has interpreted this dream. And, and now here's the result and the reaction and the response from King Nebuchadnezzar. So we're going to see this in Daniel chapter 2 in this last portion, starting in verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Now, as we go to unpack our text, I want you to think about a question that we're going to come back to, but I want you to think on this. Where has God placed you in this culture? Where has God placed you in this culture? Think about this, just kind of stew on, on that. I, because I wonder sometimes if we are really intentional with our influence and with our position. That all of us have, in one way or another, we have influence and we have a position and God has placed each of us in the midst of this culture with a purpose and with a plan for his glory, not for ours, but for his. But if we're not intentional, 
What can easily happen is we fall into the same pattern of the world where we become of it. But God has a greater plan than this culture. He has a greater plan than our own plan. He has a greater desire for us. And we see the intentionality of Daniel in the end of our text here. That like I said, many, many sermon expositions and, and commentary writings really breeze over this part of, of chapter two and it makes us know better that we're giving a single week to this. But I really want you to understand that there's a lot in these four verses that we're gonna learn. Because here you have Daniel who has gained both a promotion and influence with a pagan king. And he shows us how to be both in the culture, but not of the culture. He shows us how to be in this pagan culture, but not of this pagan culture. And so this is really relevant for us today as we learn. And so what we're going to see in our text today and what our sentences or our fill in the blanks that you can fill in now is that God is above all others and he positions us in the culture that we may be an influence to the culture. We see this first, that God is above all others, that Daniel is about giving God the glory and the praise in the midst of this story. And we saw this last week in verse 45 when Daniel said, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this, what shall come after these kingdoms, what shall come after this earth. And he says, this dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. And then in verse 46 that we just read, Nebuchadnezzar bows before Daniel and worships him regarding him as a God. Think about that for a moment. He gives honor to Daniel and glory to Daniel. And then he gives honor and glory to his God in verse 47, where he said, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. Now Nebuchadnezzar responds to Daniel's exact interpretation of his dream by really turning his stance to positive towards Daniel's God. But he does not, here's what we need to understand about this text. Nebuchadnezzar does not embrace him as his own God, only as one of the gods who can interpret and reveal the dream. And so this part of our text is not about a conversion of Nebuchadnezzar over to Christianity. It's about Daniel's faithfulness that Nebuchadnezzar momentarily turns positively towards Daniel's God, but does not personalize a relationship with God. And so here, Nebuchadnezzar is praising Daniel's God, but it's only momentarily, because what we're going to look at next week is that Nebuchadnezzar draws his own interpretation from his dream and what Daniel is saying. And he believes that all of his success is due to himself. And so he says, man, let me, let me bring up an idol that would show how wonderful and how great I am because this great God has revealed how great I am. Let me reveal this to everyone else. And so all throughout this series, through the book of Daniel, what we have seen in the midst of all of this is that God is still at work and that he alone stands above all other gods. But here in this text, what we read, we, you've got two different theologies you have Nebuchadnezzar's momentary theology of look at how great I am and, and what has now been revealed to me. That, that shows the importance of my stance, of who I am, of how I operate, that, that that God of yours would reveal that to me. And then you have the theology of Daniel, which he says, look at how great God is and how he uses me to reveal how he is above all others. 
See, I've shared this illustration with you before, and I love it because I don't like cats at all. I love you, but I don't love cats. So I just want you to know that. But I love this illustration because it's really helpful to understand the two differences of these theologies going on, is that really all theology is in two categories. You have cat theology and you have dog theology. This is going to get fun, so enjoy. So let's, let's just say there is a cat and let's say there's a dog and they both have the same owner. They have the same owner and they have the best master, the best And they sleep in comfortable beds. They eat very good food. They're groomed at the best vet and spa. They're petted. They're spoken to. They are well-treated. And they're cared for in every way. These are loved pets. Very loved. And the cat thinks, I must be an amazing and valuable cat. And the dog thinks, I must have an amazing and valuable master. Do you see the difference there? So church, we need to have dog theology. See, so, so many times in the world, it's cat theology. Look at how amazing I am. Look at how valuable and important I am. That's cat theology. So let me ask you this. What are you looking at? See, the perspective and what Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel were looking at were very different. Daniel saw God as the one true God above all the others. And Nebuchadnezzar saw all of these other gods. And Daniel's God was the one who could just interpret this. Where he then saw, man, I must be so important that this God would reveal that and and show me how wonderful my kingdom is. So for Nebuchadnezzar, he was looking at himself. But for Daniel, his focus was on God and how he is above all others. So Daniel's perspective is, look at how great God is. Look at all that God has done and and look at all that God is still promising to do that's foreshadowed in this dream. So there you have dog theology. See, this is the kind of theology that we need. This is the kind of theology we need where the focus is not on us, It's on our Savior who has reconciled us to the Father who is above all others. And he's not just above all others, but he's also in control. We see this in his sovereignty throughout the Old Testament, that he moves and he works in us. And we see God do this in Daniel's life, where he then positions him in the culture. That because of God's sovereign promise and power and provision, Daniel goes from certain death, certain wrath that he was not owed, but he was in the category of being owed. He was condemned to die because no one could interpret this dream to then a a transition to where the, the wrath was then put aside. Freedom is granted. And then Daniel's placed in the king's court to do good works, to bless the people around him. So look at the position Daniel is now in. Look at the position. If you look all throughout Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 2 of how we've studied over the last five weeks, you'll really see how Daniel's position continues to change. And that's not by his own wisdom and his own doing. It's by God's doing and his sovereignty over Daniel's life. And so the king promotes Daniel to this position of being chief of the wise men. And so now he's positioning him over all the wise men of Babylon. And normally this title, think about this, would have been given to a Chaldean. 
It, it would have been given to one of the wise men in Babylon, but it's being given to one of God's chosen. And so then it says that we read that sitting at the gate of the king is where Daniel was then choosing to be positioned. And this meant that Daniel sat as chief of the Supreme Court of the Chaldean Empire. So think about the position Daniel is now in, where God continues to move him in an intentional positioning. See, I want you to think about something for a second that's important for us to understand in this. I think often what we, what we may not consider when we step into any environment of this culture is, is our awareness. Are we aware of where we are positioned in this culture? See, I think for some of us, when we are unaware of our position, I think this becomes an important question. Where, where, what is my position in this culture as a follower of Christ? And I don't just think that as a pastor. I think that as a follower of Christ that we really need to consider that as we step into every environment. What's my position here? How has God put me here? Why has God put me here? This is important because here's the truth of it. After Jesus was resurrected and after he spent time with his disciples that we read in the New Testament in, in Matthew and in Acts, he, he equips them and encourages them with the great commission. And then he left. He left earth. And, and for now, he has left us here with the Holy Spirit. So that's a very intentional choosing. So our position in this world is not that we are under the grip of the fall, but that we are freed from it. That by our new life in Christ, we may live in him, in this fallen world on mission. Do you see the intention of that type of position this is the difference between someone who is in the world, but of Christ, and someone who is of the world and in the world. And this is shown that the state of this world, the condition of this world, and the lost people of this world are under that fall of sin. But we are not. We really need to understand that. Because for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, we are positioned in this fallen world to see those who are lost become found in Christ. So we're left with a mission. Jesus did not leave us behind. The, the last part of his great commission is, remember, I am with you always. I am with you always. So we are left with a mission that we're entrusted and we are sent by God through Christ. But see, all throughout church history, we see that one of the constant struggles of Christianity, both individually and corporately, is with culture. This is one of our biggest struggles because you have that balance of, I'm in the culture, but I'm called to not be of the culture, so where am I, where am I compromising? Where, where am I being too much of it? And so there's all of these questions that come up. Where should we stand, inside the culture, outside? Should we ignore it? Should we isolate ourselves from it? Should we try to transform it? See, this is one of the things that we've learned from Daniel, is that throughout our series, regardless of what the culture had to offer and what may look good from the outside, Daniel stands as one who is not of this world. He stood strong and he stood apart, that he's in it, but he's not of it. And I shared with you in our first week that for us, this means living according to what Paul told us 
and what he told to the Romans later in the New Testament in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. That Paul tells the Romans, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, this is the reality both in this verse and in our text in Daniel chapter 2. That God is not about trying to redeem culture. He's about reconciling us from a fallen culture into redemptive relationship with him. So this is what Romans 12, 2 looks like in the life of a believer, reconciled into redemptive relationship with God. It's that first we conform to Christ. We conform to Christ. And this means that as followers of Jesus, we live different than the culture around us. We live different than the culture Because honestly, if you look at a non-believer and and a believer, a follower of Christ, someone who understands the commands and the life of Christ, there is something wrong if that life looks the same as a non-believer. But here's what I want you to remember. What I've said throughout this series is that we don't try to define what the culture has to do. We demonstrate what we as Christians have to do. So it's not trying to define the culture It's demonstrating what a Christian has to do in the midst of that culture. And so we don't conform to the culture, we conform to Christ. And then second, applying Romans 12 too means that we renew our minds. And renewal only comes through transformation. And this means that there is an inner working that God is doing in us. So that means where our affections and our hope And our worship is being daily moved from the things of this world to the creator of this world. And so really the renewal of our mind is about surrender. That it's a constant and growing change within us through the power and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That it's really about surrendering to God and saying, God, take take my thoughts, take my approach and give me yours. Take the world and give me Jesus. And then finally, in the third of breaking down and applying Romans 12, 2 in this, is that we test in order to discern God's will. And what this means is that we weigh everything in this world against the will and the wisdom of God. So we seek him first. And see, I think why why many of us walk into church and we, we... we go into our, our time of prayer and meditation with God, feeling unsure of where our life is going and, and what steps to take in life is because we're not really seeking the biblical will of God. We're seeking our own version of it. And so really the Monday through Saturday self-seeking session then paired with the Sunday morning worship session isn't gonna work for you. It's not going to work because what we're making really is our own plans and saying, God, do you approve? Do you approve of what I want to do? Rather than saying, God, regardless of what I want, where do you want me? Where, where do you want to position me? Not, I've got this and I know what's best. It's, it's God, what do you see as best? God, may I test this to know your will? Because the reality is we, we, we don't know what tomorrow brings, but God does. And so really what we need to do is we need to trust him with where he's positioned us. 
We need to trust him. And we need to trust him that also in where he's placed us, that we would be an influence to the culture. See, in verse 49, we see God use Daniel to be an influential leader in this pagan culture that he is in. But the first thing that Daniel does in office is he uses his influence to bring in his peers who are also serving God. He uses his influence with great intention. So let me ask you this again. Where has God placed you in this culture? Think about this for a moment. Because following Christ is not a a method of living. It is life itself. This is what Jesus said. I came that you would have life abundantly. And so our position in this culture matters. Where our stance is, where, where we are at So think about that. Where has God placed you in this culture? In the groups that you interact with? In the work that you are in? Around the boss that you have? Around the peers that you meet with? In your context and in the culture that you're in? And then look at the position of Daniel that he is in now. The intention of that of both God and then of Daniel following the will of God. See, Daniel, in our text, what we see is now over all the wise men of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. But Daniel's position and his promotion are not something he uses to glory in himself. He uses it to influence the leader above him and to serve as though it was to serve unto God. And so God has positioned us all in this culture to be missional. This is something we have to think intentionally about. That God's placed us in this culture with great intention where we're entrusted and we're sent by him through Christ. So where has God placed you in this culture? For Daniel, it was in in slavery to a pagan king who believed he was the greatest earthly God. For Daniel, it was now at the gate of the king where he sat as chief of the Supreme Court of the Chaldean Empire. And for Daniel, it was ultimately under God's authority. It wasn't under any other authority, not King Nebuchadnezzar, not the Chaldeans, no one on earth. Ultimately for Daniel, understanding his placement and his authority and his influence in this culture was by understanding that he was ultimately under God's authority where he was willing to have God position him in the culture as he saw fit, as God saw fit, that Daniel would be an influence to the culture around him. So where has God placed you in this culture? Where has God placed you and what does he want to do as he places you there? Let's pray.